Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 142, and today's guest is Oliver Wellington, co-founder of Headliner. I used to envy, well, let's be honest, I was downright jealous of the other podcasts and their use of video for promoting their episodes. I would see a clip of audio transformed into a video with a cool wavy line that matched up with the voice of the guest. I always thought, wow, that must be super expensive to do that level of production. Well, a few months ago, I discovered a company in New York called Headliner that makes it easy to create social video. No, this is not an advertisement for Headliner, but we are users and fans of this product as it is incredibly intuitive and their freemium pricing model makes it cost effective. Headliner is being used by thousands and thousands of radio producers, podcasters, and publishers to generate a massive amount of videos per week. Oliver and his co-founder, Neil Modi, are serial entrepreneurs and this is their second company together. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like some observations and thoughts on starting a podcast, how being in a band influenced Oliver's professional career, the details on their first company, Enrolate, which was acquired by IAC, how Spearman evolved into Headliner, and all the details on the company, its tech, and future plans, advice on how to get feedback on your product from your customers, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Whenever someone asks me who are the fastest growing tech companies in New York or Boston, I simply direct them to our biz pages. From there, you can do a virtual tour of each tech scene and explore over 290 companies. Each biz page tells you everything you need to know from a high level in terms of the company, culture, job openings, leadership team, and so much more. Go to venturefizz.com backslash biz pages to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Oliver. Oliver, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because uh, we are a customer of Headliner. And it was one of those situations where I would notice on social media, people would have these amazing uh, you know, snippets of the audio from their podcast in a video format with a wavy lines to demonstrate there was an actual you know, mm-hmm. something going on that you'd probably want to listen to. And I'm like, wow, I-, I, wish, I wish I could have those. Those look really cool. <laughs> and then I heard about Headliner. I log in. And it was super intuitive and simple. So we're going to talk a lot about the company and what you do. But uh, just firsthand experience, I was uh, excited to, to learn more about your background and, and obviously the company. Awesome. But, no, it's great to hear. But before we get into that, I thought it'd be kind of interesting because you've dealt with so many uh, podcasters. Um, you know, if, if, if I was just a friend and, uh, you know, we're grabbing, uh, you know, dinner or something and I, was, I wanted to start a podcast. So based on all your knowledge of just observing the podcast landscape, like what observations or lessons learned have you seen out there that, hey, here's the things that you probably want to do and here's the things that you may want to avoid? Sure. So, I mean, what we focus on mostly at Headliner is around promoting your podcast. Right. Um, That's kind of the area that I'm most focused in, but I have still kind of like, there's some other kind of thing. I mean, we've made a few podcasts over here. Um, my wife just is working on a podcast herself right now. So I think some of the stuff like we've learned from, uh, you know, she's learned and I've kind of watched as one is thinking through kind of who your audience is going to be. Um, you know, you can start anything and have a passion for something and just kind of go at it. And if there's people that are into it, um, the thing that you're into your hobby or whatever, you know, they'll find you eventually and like it. But if you think like kind of more strategically around, uh, who you're going to be making the podcast for, and even maybe talking to some of these people that you think might be your listeners, that that can be a good way to kind of figure out if your idea is um, something that that will have legs and really work well. Um, so that's one thing is just kind of, you know, 
think a little bit about the subject and the format and you know, are you going to be doing like a conversational podcast with friends? Are you going to be doing a scripted thing where you kind of are reading something you wrote? Um, or are you going to be uh, doing something else entirely? Uh, just kind of going into it with a kind of thought around that. Also thinking about realistically, um, this is maybe even more important, like how much time do you actually have to make your podcast? And then, and then making sure once you figure that out, like how much can you output? And can you stick to that schedule? So like, if it's going to be daily, that's obviously a ton of work. Uh, so then, but then make sure you can kind of keep to that schedule. If it's going to be weekly, monthly, whatever it is, you know, maybe you do a limited series. You say, Hey, this is going to be five episodes. Um, so I would say like, yeah, like having the expectations set for what, um, what it's going to be. And, and, and before you start could be helpful. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people probably find as if they just jump right in that over time, oh, I wish I had thought a little bit more about this stuff or eventually you might learn it. Um, but then the other advice is kind of like maybe counter to all that would be to just like, just start <laughs> to yeah. some degree too, you know, mm -hmm. it's probably better to do an episode that's you're not super proud of than to do a ton of planning. Um, and just so you can get in there and you may end up uh, doing one podcast that doesn't go anywhere, but then getting an idea for another one and then starting a new podcast and that becomes the main one you work on. So yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that was useful. <laughs> well, what like, so the, just jumping in, I, I agree with that. Louis Venture fizz. I'm like, I've never done a podcast, but one of my writers, Alex Kalafi, he, you know, had done work with podcasts before. So he had enough knowledge and uh, you know, we just did it. And yeah, I listened to it probably three months ago and I thought I was just going to cringe because I'm like, oh my God, because we're up to episode 135 now or something. Wow, congrats. And I, so I thought the first episode was going to be horrible for me, not my guest, of course. And I listened to it, I'm like, wait, actually, it was fine. It was very, very conversational as it always is. So um, yeah, don't overthink it. Just kind of jump in and, and just do it. And uh, I like the other advice on thinking it through though, because I do notice some podcasts, some that I've listened to, all of a sudden they just stop. And I think they realize this is a lot of work and I have to keep this going. Yeah. So, um, it's a commitment. And another thing actually I think is like pretty big is, is don't worry too much about the gear. You know, if you're into gear, that's a hobby for you. Great. Go out and get a bunch of fancy mics because that's what brings you joy. But like for a podcast, uh, it's not music. Like you can use a USB mic. I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm into gear. Uh, I was into music. So I have a bunch of gear that I really don't need. Um, but like I've tried, you know, $60 mics, $50 mics up to like hundreds of dollar mics. And like for a podcast, I, I really think like you can have a great sounding podcast for, you know, less than a hundred bucks in terms of gear. 100%. That's exactly what we spent. So anyone who's listening yeah. out there, just, you know, not that this is a podcast about podcasting, <laughs> but, uh, literally just bought a, uh, blue Yeti mic. It was a hundred bucks. And it plugs into my MacBook and um, you can use Audacity, which is free for software, for editing. I prefer to use GarageBand just because I think it's simpler and more intuitive, but uh, it's all preloaded and good to go. So mm -hmm. <laughs> totally yeah, agree. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's step back to your background. So where, where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? Uh, so <clears throat> I, I grew up on Cape Cod, Massachusetts in a tiny town called Katuit which I believe was just featured in one of the local Boston news stations um, as like a tourist destination. I think it's famous for oysters, uh, Katuit, C-O-T-U-I-T. You can get those oysters all over the world actually. Um, and uh, 
I, you know, it was kind of a nursing place to grow up and that there's not a lot of people there in the winter. So when I grew up there, it was kind of like really busy and then crazy in the summer. And then in winter time, it would be kind of dead. And so I guess as a kid, I've gone through many different phases, but I think in general, I've started out as pretty shy and um, I kind of kept to myself quite a bit. Um, and I read a lot, tons of just reading. Um, I was kind of like a really large kid. So I often like most of my friends were a couple grades over above, above me, just cause like, if you're like a foot taller than everyone else, you kind of like feel like you're, you know, you kind of feel awkward. Like you, you, you don't fit in and everyone thinks you're older. So you just kind of end up hanging out with older people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of, you know, shaped me. I'm very shy, but like, I kind of have that dynamic where I'm super shy, but I also would like sign up to go sell things door to door when I was a kid. That was something you could do back <laughs> in the nineties. Right. Probably, I don't know if you can do it now or not, but you know, like for the boy scouts, like selling the popcorn or like mm -hmm. just selling like wrapping paper, like random stuff. Like I kind of really like get excited or like the, it's kind of like, because I'm shy, it's like really kind of thrilling to go sell things to people that you don't know. So, I mean, that's something that kind of as a kid. And so why did you decide to uh, study psychology at, at NYU? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, to be totally honest, like it was, I think I was kind of not sure what to pick in college. I didn't come into college knowing what I wanted to do specifically. Um, I've always gravitated towards the arts. So I minored in poetry and creative writing. And so that was kind of something that I, you know, I think if I was like more comfortable, I would have actually just majored in that. But I think I had this idea that your college degree needs to um, like translate into some sort of a career or a job and psychology seemed like a better fit for that, mm -hmm. even though it didn't end up really mattering um, that much. But that was kind of it. I mean, to be honest, yeah, the psychology stuff I did was interesting, but it isn't like a super formative part of who I am today. Yeah. But but you did talk about you were into music. So uh, you played in a band as well, right? And then did you manage the band too? Or did you manage other bands? Uh, no, I just worked with our band and I kind of like would book shows. I mean, we kind of co-managed it together, but I did a lot of the kind of show booking and um, just like all the promotional stuff. So that this was back in like the days of MySpace and Pure Volume. So I did a lot of kind of like early online marketing uh, in the, this is in the early 2000s on some of these sites. And, and what instrument did you play and what type of music? It was very heavy. I played bass. Mm -hmm. We were kind of a pretty heavy band. Uh, I wouldn't say metal, but kind of like we got compared to like System of a Down, Rage Against the Machine, uh, oh. Fugazi. Mm -hmm. It was a little punk, a little raw. Um, yeah, the, the lead singer and the <clears throat> guitar player, these two kind of crazy brothers who did a very good job of putting on a show. Nice. Yeah. But you decided to go to Babson to get your MBA. What, what triggered that decision? So I was like kind of at this stage where like our band was like, we kind of like we're doing well, but we kind of needed to all just like, we were at the stage where we had to just quit our jobs and go on tour or something. And we were kind of, we're in this catch 22 where like we were talking to a number of labels that were like, because we had like shows that, you know, we played like VFWs, like some of our best shows were actually VFWs in central Massachusetts and like, you know, places like that, upstate New York. Like we had like a pretty good following, but I think it was like, you know, labels that would support it wanted to see that we could go do that around the whole country, which means we'd have to go on a tour. But I think our bandmates 
weren't really comfortable leaving their jobs until we had signed a deal or something like that. So we kind of reached this catch 22 where like, it wasn't really going to get to the next step, but the music was fun and people loved it. And so I just kind of reached this place where I think also like the, uh, the touring life, like we went on a few tours and then I ended up playing bass with some other bands um, that would go on like more larger tours. And there's just a few of those. And um, I think like the touring life just wasn't for me. And so I kind of decided because I had been trying the music thing and just like pursuing that I should do like a full 180 and just go straight into business mm-hmm. and just see how that goes and do something that potentially could lead to more, a more kind of stable existence. But as you may know, I picked the world of startups, which is basically like being in a band, but in business. Right. So. <laughs> it totally is. It's very, very similar. Yeah. And, but you know, you did go to, you know, Babson, which is known for their you know, entrepreneurship program and you mm-hmm. pursued that path. So, so the, the company that um, you were a part of and ended up being a founder was Enrelate, right? Yeah, correct. So, so right out of Babson, uh, I met up with, um, Neil, Neil Modi, who I've um, worked with now for 10 years. And I've actually known him like he actually helped me do some kind of like promotional stuff with the band back in like 2005. So predating that. But so in 2009, when I graduated, uh, I met up with Neil and he was working on this idea for what kind of Enrelate grew into. Um, And so we were an online content recommendation company. I mean, you might have seen recently these two companies, Outbrain and Taboola, who who merged. We were actually like one of those kind of companies. so were you before, before became, those companies? Like no, it was like concurrent with um so Outbrain and us released like the same paid product at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh we had an under article widget that we allowed people to pay to promote their articles in. And so it would go across, you know, eventually we were on like I think around a hundred thousand websites doing like five or six billion impressions a month. But so in the beginning we were on blogs and Outbrain was on large publisher sites. And so we basically allowed we created this network of blogs that had a recommendation widgets where other people could pay to put their content in and so then tabula at that time was doing video recommendations Mm. and then they eventually pivoted into doing the under article content stuff and then we were acquired by iac uh, barry diller's company in 2012 and uh after that i think outbrain and tabula each raised like massive vc rounds and uh, we were there until 2015. And then, uh, yeah, then we left and kind of moved on to stuff we're working on now. So IAC, you know, it's all this consumer companies where, from what I've heard, they kind of own, operate as their own like separate P&L, yet there must be some cross-pollination. So w- what did you learn from the IAC portfolio experience? So it was kind of an interesting, it was definitely interesting. It's like a beautiful building on the west side of Manhattan, uh, right by Chelsea Piers. Um, and so we originally started out under ask.com. We're like, if you remember Ask Jeeves, uh, yeah, we were totally kind of related yeah. to that. But they yeah. were based on the West Coast. And so I think like kind of culturally, it made more sense for us to be with under an East Coast group. So we ended up getting moved to being under uh, APN, which is called the Ask Publisher Network. Um, and then the, you know, an IEC is a huge kind of company they buy and sell stuff all the time they basically own online dating for example and i think they might have spun that out and did something but um for our group like we worked kind of with um within you know it's kind of like you're part of this group but you're also like your own separate entity there wasn't i mean for us and what we were doing there wasn't a ton of cross-pollination with the other brands Mm -hmm. 
that was kind of like, I think the idea that we would plug in was one of the main reasons we thought it was a good idea to, um, to get acquired and, and kind of work in that ecosystem. But the reality of it was that because uh, each brand was a little more separate than we probably realized it would be, there's a lot of kind of like politics involved in getting kind of set up on all these different sites and stuff like that. And it eventually did happen, but it just took a bit longer than we thought it yeah. would. But I think that's, I mean, any startup, you know, we're used to being like a small, nimble, angel funded startup, right? So mm-hmm. we're at a public company, like, yeah, it's going to be different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then off, so then at some point you decide, okay, time to move on. And then, you know, what's, uh, what was next the next company that you built? Yeah, so we took, I think, about, I don't know, four or five months off in 2015. And then we uh, originally started working on this uh, app to help people connect in their in their spare time. So that was kind of like phase one uh, that we called Spare Min. And, and the name kind of made sense for that version of it. Uh, but we quickly found that people were using it to record. Because one of the features we put in was uh, the ability to record conversations. People really were just using it to record conversations and share them. and. Um, but, to, but so from what I gathered, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like the concept, the original concept was I have a minute to spare, spare a man. Yeah. And I could just dial into this and talk to random people and, and have conversations. Or if I was an actor and I had a fan base, they could call me and. Oops. Yeah, not the random case. It was more the uh, like an actor or like okay. we were actually really close to piloting something with Babson, um, but then like kind of we ended up not doing it because of the, our product. We just saw what was happening with our product and we went in a different direction. But imagine like you're a, an alumni association and you have like say five or 10 distinguished alumni that have said they'll give office hours to students. They basically go on the app, they sign up, people can send them requests saying, I want to talk to you. And then whenever that person's free, they just click a button and it notifies everyone that they're available to chat and then they can call in. Mm. And so it was kind of like, there's some interesting ideas there. I think the the main kind of issue we had was that synchronous communication is just really hard. <laughs> so, you know, like the async version of that would probably have done a lot better. But but out of that, you know, I, I've always been super passionate about audio podcasting and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we kind of tried that for a little bit, but then very quickly moved on to the the recording of the audio as the main thing. So you... you- figured that that was the use case. People were using it for the auto recordings. And then that led you down the path of, of head, headliner. Yeah. And so basically first it was like connecting people in their spare time. We found out that they wanted to record more than connect. Um, the next, once we had that happening, people actually were, when they were sharing their clips, we had made this embed that kind of made like a video type thing. And people decided that was, you know, people wanted that and they said, Oh, can I just upload my own audio to this? And so, that kind of is what caused us to move into the world of headliner, right? Helping people share their audio online. And since then, like, it's just been like, you know, a lot of growth, a lot of usage. And you can kind of tell, right, when you're doing something, if it, if people really want it, you see the results pretty quickly. And, you know, and today, I mean, the, the, the podcast uh, brands that you have on your website, it's, you know, the, it's the who's who it's, you know, Wandery, it's um, Sirius XM, it's CNN, BBC. So, I mean, so, this, so, so how did you finally get this product to the point where it was getting recognized by these premium, you know, podcast brands? So, I mean, some of them kind of from the beginning um, were, uh, 
using this stuff. I mean, part of it's being in New York is helpful because we're just around, uh, we're at events, all that kind of stuff. Another thing is just like the, the world of audio and the people that produce it isn't that big. It's not like going, at our last company, you know, we were working with bloggers. So there was just an endless supply of bloggers pretty much like in the millions, right? And, and in podcasting, there's probably like 100,000 podcasters or so um, that are active at a given time, maybe a little more now. But, you know, it kind of takes like, the main way people found us uh, was through, and it wasn't, I mean, we didn't even get super involved in this, but um, was through Reddit and Facebook groups about podcasting and mostly producers being like, hey, this is a tool I'm using to do this, like check out Headliner. And so a lot of it was kind of natural, just organic growth that we didn't really do a ton of outwork. You know, it just kind of fit fit with the uh, fit with what people wanted. And then once you kind of had this idea, use case, how did you start to, to build out the product? Um, you know, because again, as I mentioned in in the intro, uh, incredibly well designed, intuitive. Just I just jumped in and I was able to get what I needed to get done. Yeah, so we, I mean, it's basically a, you know, Headliner is kind of like a nonlinear video editor. Looks very similar to any other video editors out there. Um, we kind of found that, you know, the, the editor experience itself is still a bit much for audio. So we created a series of wizards to allow people to upload their audio and then add in the different elements they might want um, pretty quickly. And so, you know, a big focus for us and from what we've talked to with podcasters is, that they don't have enough time to, um, with the fact that the podcast may not be their main focus, like it might be part of their business. I mean, in most cases, a podcast is part of their business or something they're doing as a hobby, um, or maybe they're doing a bunch of podcasts, right? They don't usually have enough time to promote it as much as they want. And so we've kind of focused on reducing that time. Um, and so when you start looking at it in terms of how can we reduce time, you start building up the wizard, stuff like that. And then, yeah, the other thing we're building now is this automation stuff. Um, so it'll kind of automatically take your feed and cut it up into different videos for social media. So, so how does that work? Because we've been experimenting with it and then we're like, what, how did it know to pull out that segment and it, you know, it's useful content for us to market? Yeah. So right now, basically, if you put your feed in, um, we have some really light kind of tech going to pick uh, the clip. It kind of figures out based on silence um, what to take. So you might see is like it works a good amount of time, but sometimes it might take an ad or something like that. Um, but so we're actually doing a thing soon where we're going to be doing some much more intense kind of processing on the audio to try and find the right clips to take. I mean, so if you remember our last company was um, Enrelate, we were, you know, processing hundreds of millions of articles every month and trying to relate them based on relevance or if we think, you know, the likelihood that someone will click on that particular piece of content based on what it's about. And so kind of that kind of uh, processing and, and, and that kind of stuff, that whole area of work is uh, something we're starting to do on this audio stuff too. So it's going to get quite a bit better actually over the next couple of weeks and months for sure. And what about pricing? How'd you figure out, you know, the right model, you know, freemium, you know, what tiers, cause a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, you know, how do we price this and what's the, what's that right dollar amount for the dollar amount? I mean, we kind of looked at just other similar apps um, and then similar apps and, and then kind of priced it based on that. Um, we actually tried like everything we could <laughs> to do 
something other than SaaS and to see if you could find some sort of novel um, business model for this. But in the end, like to keep up with all the customer demands and people like telling us like, we will pay pay you for this. <laughs> like, it's just at some point you're like, all right, let's just do the obvious thing. And, and how, how, how have you funded the company to date? We have uh, done a few funding rounds. Um, we've, you know, we put some money in ourselves uh, from, you know, the last company we had some cash uh, to start this one. And then we've done a few kind of angel rounds and um, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. And pretty, what's, what's, pretty the, light. what's well then what's the plan for growth moving forward? I mean, uh, I, you know, I've heard that, you know, the goal is, you know, helping podcasters generate more revenue. So kind of what's your thoughts for the future of your company? Yeah. So I think the future is going to be around. So right now we kind of solved the, the issue of um, getting you the video you need to increase the discoverability of your podcast on social media. You know, like you, you, you'll get a better kind of using a video will, and from the tests we've run, you know, we've seen that the video increases the click on your uh, link back to your episode by anywhere from like two to 10 X. Right. So you can now make the videos easily uh, for social media, but you might also want to kind of add in paid options. Right. And so that's kind of a thing we're kind of exploring now is like one, can we kind of bring the ability for you to not have to know how to run a bunch of social campaigns on Facebook, but you can kind of do that from within headliner um, and, and kind of get traffic to your, to your stuff there. And then another thing is basically bringing this automated video creation basically to anywhere people might want to discover and share new podcasts. Hmm. So kind of, you know, I don't know if you saw, but we have like kind of integrations with a few podcasting apps and um, kind of these, uh, we have a, a, a JS, a JavaScript widget that allows you from a web player to then clip a video out of that too. So kind of continue to do that kind of stuff. So the videos are everywhere. Cause right now it's still pretty hard to share audio with mm -hmm. friends and family or online. So, the, you know, we talked a lot about your product experience. Um, like what, what do you think is the best way for uh, founders to get feedback from customers? Now, I'm on your email distribution list and I got an email from you yesterday. It was very timely. And it mm -hmm. said, hey, you know, we're using this automation feature. You know, would love your feedback. It asked me point blank. Hey, I, you know, you basically asked me as a user of your product for feedback. So, like, obviously you would recommend doing that, but does it actually work? Do you get great feedback from users when you ask them directly? And do you think a lot of entrepreneurs just kind of totally miss the boat on, on doing the ask direct method? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not actually hundred percent sure what other people are doing, but what's always worked for us is um, email has been a huge thing that we've always done. And this goes back to when I was in my band, right? Like just kind of using email to get uh, feedback from people. So we've done focus groups, we've done surveys, We've done like paid focus groups, unpaid ones, um, usability testing, all types of stuff. And I think like just, you know, having a constant uh, contact with with your uh, people using your stuff is, is good. And, and so you notice, yeah, like I reached out yesterday because I noticed basically the groups of people that are tried out the automation stuff. And I just wanted to check in and see how it was going. Um, so there's the proactive stuff. And then also um, once we have enough people like we do now. I mean, we get tons of emails every day, just inbound saying, hey, could you add this? Could you add that? And so then there's also, 
Bailey from our team set up this um, like a, a Kanban board on the web where people could kind of, this was something, we don't use this a ton anymore, but when we were working on the initial version of Headliner we did where people could kind of put in product suggestions and then other people could rank what they wanted to see added. And we would use that when we were making decisions too. But I think the main thing is like, this is kind of like hard as a founder sometimes, but some of the best suggestions I've gotten are from people that are angry with the product, mm -hmm. you know, because I've always noticed that like people who are angry at you about the product are the ones that were, they're angry because they're passionate, they want it to work. Right. And so they're going to tell you like exactly what they want it to do. Mm -hmm. Someone who loves it, it's like, that's great, but it doesn't really help you figure out what to do next. You're just like, okay, we're on the right path. But, you know, but so it's the people that are kind of like often the loudest, most negative, but like negative in a way that's telling you things to do to change it, not just like this sucks, which, you know, some people say too. Right. Like I kind of ignore that. But like people that say, like, you know, man, I really like think this product could be awesome, except it doesn't do this, that, or this. And because mm -hmm. it doesn't do this, I won't use it, you know. So then you kind of keep a list of all these people and then when you put in those features, you just say, hey, it does that now. Give it a try. So yeah, it's just a lot, it's a lot of manual work and just listening to people, keeping track of what they're telling you. Now, what about, you know, you talked early on that, you know, some of the success of what you're doing initially was building things up through Reddit, right? And I've heard people talk about that. And that's a channel that I just don't understand. And I'm trying to get my arm wrapped around it. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you're not part of the community, you're an outsider and you know, it's hard to kind of really help navigate it and get it. Uh, and then also like, you know, you've uh, done launches on, on product hunt. Like, so what experimental channels do you think um, are useful that um, you know, might help other entrepreneurs and, and how should they execute on those? But yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is like, if you're going to use like say Reddit or, or a Facebook group, like making sure that the, there's moderators to the group and they have rules right? It says in generally you can't be like super self-promotional or they'll remove your post. So it's kind of just like making sure they're the moderators are cool with what you're going to post. Or then uh, the other thing is to just make sure you post things that are actually useful to the group, right? Like if I'm like releasing a product that actually solves a problem people have been talking about, then it's like appropriate to say, Hey, I noticed a bunch of you guys were wanted to add like, waveforms on top of your videos i made a product that does that you know i've always been kind of like that like trying to be very transparent not not like saying hey i found this cool product and then people will figure out it's you but if you just come out and say like hey right. this is my product yeah. please check it out give me feedback if you want to remove the post remove the post whatever <laughs> you know um i mean obviously like you know not everything's perfect it's just a question of doing stuff a bunch and seeing what hits and then for product hunt that's more like you know bailey on our team was kind of super knowledgeable about that and so basically it's um just a question of like launching at the right time like usually earlier in the day like really early in the day and then just letting everyone that uses your product know you're on there and to go check it out um there's a whole system to product hunt that like i'm not sh totally aware of but like there's basically there's also like people on product hunt that are very um active and those people will be kind of have more clout in terms of what gets voted to the top or not. Mm -hmm. And so um, kind of having actual relationships with those people can be helpful. The other thing is, is a lot of it's luck because like if some other company releases some amazing product the day you do, like you're just going to lose. <laughs> so, right. yeah. you know. All right. So 
you talked about uh, you, you know, we're getting great feedback from um, users or you even had like the board up that was, you know, people could suggest random features, but so, and you said you, now you get a lot of email coming in. So how do you decide on what to build? Like what features and functionality should you build into the product? Like what's going to uh, add value versus just be kind of cool? Yeah. So that's kind of like a mix of, um, user feedback kind of stuff we want to do internally. Um, and then, you know, we have, um, we're a small team, but basically like a few of us will talk it out. I mean, everyone on the team can contribute to this stuff, but we generally talk through stuff, um, in a number of kind of meetings throughout the week and go through and try to fit. Um, I mean, we, we don't have a ton of engineers, so we're, we're actually producing a ton of stuff right so everything's very tight in terms of fitting all the work in um but like we kind of are trying right now we're really big on the automation work right and we're building this product out so basically everything is kind of around this product um and making sure it kind of gets to the next the next level and so you know like the main kind of issue you kind of touched on right is the uh the clip selection right and so that's kind of like a huge undertaking that we're looking at right now and um another issue is making the videos look the audiograms are great um, and they perform well, but we actually are trying to kind of come up with the next generation of videos mm -hmm. that will, um, you know, have just more, just be a little bit more, just be more of a video with a, with different cuts and animations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the process is kind of like a lot of um, back and forth between the various individuals on the team and coming to a conclusion about what we're going to work on. Now you consume a lot of podcast podcast content. So what um name two of your favorites, not you know, the two most favorite ones, just two ones that are kind of out there that you know you just really find interesting. And it could be business, it could be you know, sports, could be fun, it could be whatever. Yeah. So I mean one I kind of like listen to off and on is the the Monday morning podcast, the Bill Burr's podcast. I think part of it's that like, you know, he's from uh he's from the Boston area. And so I always enjoy listening to, uh, he's just very familiar the way he like complains and how angry he is. It reminds me of uh, growing up. <laughs> I don't get that as much in New York. I mean, people are angry, but it's just not the same. It's not as intelligent down here. Um, so that I listened to the New York times, the daily, uh, that's another great one. And then, um, other than that, like I actually listen to podcasts to help me go to sleep mm -hmm. sometimes. And so, I listen to lore. That's a helpful one. And then um, there's this one called Bowery Boys, which is like a New York City history one. And and then that one is a nice one. I kind of listen to and drift off to sleep <laughs> yeah. as well. But yeah, I've, I've done the same to use it to sleep. Or you know, it used to be talk radio, but now podcasting just it totally just lets me just kind of fall into a trance and zonk out. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like I go through really intense podcast phases. And then it switches over to music, right? I, I don't. I generally don't listen to music and podcasts at the same time, and like I'm like in this the last month I've been in a very heavy music phase, and I've been listening to a, a great funk band called Wolfpack. How do you spell that? Uh, v u l f p e c k. The bass player is incredible. Uh, everyone's amazing musicians. Highly recommend them. They're uh, they're awesome. I'll check them out. I'm always looking for new music. Like I, I'm like a struggling 
music fanatic and I'm just like, I need n- new stuff that I can just start <laughs> yeah. to absorb. It's fun because, they, yeah, they're kind of like a funk band. It's all very familiar, but it's new. So it, it isn't quite like the old stuff. It's, you know, it's good. It's really good. Very so when upbeat. You listen, when you listen to music, is it just the bass line is so like, you're just keying in on the bass line? Uh, it depends on the music. I, I'm more like, you know, I, I like the bass line stuff, but for, yeah, but I mean, I, I like a lot of melodic stuff too. Mm-hmm. And then guitar. I mean, originally I actually studied um, guitar. Um, I spent like, I did the summer program at Berkeley in Boston, actually. Oh, in wow. high school, studying jazz guitar. Um, wow. But yeah, so I, I, yeah, I like all types of stuff. I think the thing that like, I num- my number one favorite thing is like uh, female vocalists. Mm. Mostly jazz. I'm yeah. pretty lame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well oliver thanks so much for uh taking the time to share all the details on your background the great stuff you guys are up to at headliner and of course all the great advice cool thanks so much for having me really appreciate it and uh yeah if you need any help uh, with video creation for this podcast shoot me a note and i'll have our team create some videos <laughs> sounds amazing cool that was awesome cool do you know the guys at wistia at all no I don't know. Just as we were talking, like you, you kind of like remind me of them and then how you're building the company and kind of, I don't know, just, I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to the Wistia team. (laughs) I'll have to check. Yeah. I've heard of them. I've looked at it before. I just like, it's escaping me right now. Yeah. We very, very cool. uh, Chris and Brendan, cool guys Mm. built the company. I don't know. I'll send you their podcast. You can listen to it. It's a cool story. And they've done a good job of just building a sustainable business. Yeah. you know, to the point where, you know, they, um, they took money, they bought out their investors and stuff like that. So it's just, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So nice. Cool. Cool, man. All right, Oliver. Well, thanks again for taking the time. And, uh, you know, once we get the audio and everything set up, we'll uh, send it your way. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.